Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. When Moses gets angry with the people, who's his next words to? The Lord, right? He's angry. They made him angry. But I want you to note that in his anger, he goes to the Lord. That's a great example for us. Because many times, it's going to be people that make us angry. But sometimes the people that make you angry are the people that God has called you to love. It could be your kids. For married couples, it could be your spouse. It could be a number of people that may anger you. And God's like, but I've called you to love them. Moses was called to the people of Israel, but it wasn't an easy calling. They were a stubborn and hard-hearted people, and he grew angry with them frequently. Who has God called you to love? Are they frustrating to you? Do they make you angry? What are we supposed to do when the people we are called to love are the ones making us angry? Pastor Bill says that we are to respond the same way Moses did, by going to God. God is the one who called us, and He is the one who will teach us to love. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Numbers, chapter 16, for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us an inheritance of the fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. So to this one group, Moses says, hey, guys, I need you guys to come down. They said, we're not coming. We won't come up. You know, you can lie to yourself so long that it starts sounding like the truth. These guys have lied to themselves for a little while. When Moses went and got them, where were they at? They were slaves in Egypt, right? Listen to what this guy says. He says, it is a small thing that you brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey. So he's saying, we were already in our promised land in Egypt. Y'all were slaves. They were beating y'all. Y'all were making brick and mortar with not enough materials to do so all day long. And they were whipping y'all in the back. What you mean? But that's the mentality. what happens when you lose sight of what God is doing. They have a false sense of reality. They weren't in the land flowing. If it did flow with milk and honey, they weren't getting none. He's saying you took us out of a land flowing with milk and honey and brought us to the desert. So now they're blaming Moses for their current state. How come they're in the desert? Because when it was time to go get the promise and when it was time to go, they wouldn't go. Remember? Remember when it was time to go out, they had the opportunity to go and they wouldn't go. They wouldn't believe God. They listened to the bad report. They listened to the report of giants and land. They wouldn't go. And so they're saying, it's not our fault. It's your fault. This is what will happen when we get our eyes off the Lord, when we're not seeing things the way God sees things, we lose perspective. We can start blaming other people for what we've done wrong, what we're doing wrong. That's what a lot of people do. There'll be people right now. They've been sinning their whole life. It was because of my childhood. Mm? Mm, You know, I want to be so compassionate. I know that people had rough childhoods. I know that people were abused. I know that bad things happen. But I also know that if you buy into that kind of philosophy for life, then you've got a blank check to fail the rest of your life, right? You can't live like that. I did for a period of my life. I had a mom that was an alcoholic. I had a dad that for a period of my adolescent life was on drugs. And so it was like, you know, that for me, you know, you're this, I'm at school and I had teachers that were sympathetic towards that. I wrote that check a few times. I did. In reality, I was choosing every day to do what I wanted to do. As I look back very honestly at my childhood, it wasn't that bad. I wasn't perfect, but I didn't have the worst kind of childhood. It could have been much worse. I did have parents that loved me. They had their challenges. 
But I wrote that check a few times and was giving myself a pass. You know, why I could go on and fail and do X, Y, and Z. At the end of the day, if I fail at life, I fail. And I can't blame someone else. I can't say, well, you know, my whole family struggled with this, and so now I struggle with this. The thing that we got to do about our sin is call it what it is and repent of it. Right? What they're doing here is saying nothing's their fault. They're saying, Moses, you guys came and got us out. We were in the land of milk and honey. That's not true. They were slaves. You brought us out of there. Now you brought us to the desert. And this is what they're really upset about, right? For you guys that were with us the last two studies, God told them, go to the promised land. They said, "Mm, let's send some spies first. Make sure everything is okay. They sent spies. They sent a leader from each of the tribes. The leaders went out. They came back. Ten of the spies said, you know what? It is a land that flows of milk and honey, but there are giants in the land. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. Ain't no way we can do it. No, no, no. We're not going. Two guys, Joshua and Caleb, said, foolishness. These guys are our bread. Let's go. God's giving it to us. Let's go get it. The majority ruled they wouldn't go. Then when they were told with the alternative, God said, you know what? Since you guys wouldn't believe me, everybody 20 and up, you're going to die in the wilderness. Your kids, 19 and under, they're going to get a chance to go in. But you guys, because you rebelled and you wouldn't go, you're not going to get to go. And remember what they did? They said, okay, okay, we're going to go now. Right now we'll go. And God said, no, 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 it's too late. Right. If you go now, I won't be with you. You'll die. I'm not with you anymore. That's the result of their sins. And now they're sitting with the result of their sin. They're like, now they know. Think about if you're one of the part of the group 20 and older, you know, you ain't going to the promised land and you're back in the wilderness and you know that we're going to die here. You know, they're saying they're saying we need some new leadership. They're not saying let's repent. They're not saying, you know, we've really messed up. Let's let's see if God will have mercy on us. They're saying let's let's oust these leaders. It's their fault. And maybe there's some of that in us where we'll, we'll blame others for things that aren't going well, things that aren't going right. It's a really healthy thing as a human being to come to a place where you just be responsible for you. I recognize there are things that are out of my power that I don't control, but it's a really healthy thing when we come to a place where we realize I'm responsible before God for my choices, my decision. If I own that, I can grow and I can do better. If I always can blame somebody else, it's never my fault. That means I can't get better. That's always, if you're counseling someone, the sign that you haven't begun yet is when somebody still has a reason for why they did what you did. So why did you do, why did you hit them? Well, because they were always talking to me crazy. So you still have a reason. You still feel justified in it. So we haven't even, we're not a step one yet, right? To get to step one, it's like, because I got in the flesh. Okay, we're acknowledging fault. That's your fault why you did the wrong thing. That's step one, now we can move forward from there. But when I talk to someone and they still got a reason, an excuse, which is a reason, you know, it's not really a a real reason, but they still have a reason why. Long as you can tell me why you did it, a justifiable reason, I know you're not really, you can't repent yet. You still feel like you did the right thing. These guys here are saying, Moses, you brought us out of the land of flow of milk and honey, you brought us to the desert, and you didn't keep your word. You haven't taken us into the promised land, That's not Moses' fault either. They wouldn't go when he told them to go. They're blaming it all on him, but that's not the case. Look now at verse 15. It says, then Moses was very angry and he said to the Lord, do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them, nor have I hurt one of them. I want to point this out. So far, Moses hasn't shown his anger. You guys know that Moses passed. He had an anger issue, but he's grown into what the Bible says. He's the meekest man on the earth. And even though he's got this this group of people that are, I think we'd be mad all the time if we had this many people yelling at us. 
Some of y'all, your kids bug you for a few minutes and you be like, ah, just one kid. You know, think about this many grown folks constantly just, eh, just nonstop. Most of us would crack. We would need some medication. You know, we would need some help. But Moses is doing pretty good. And at verse 15, it says he got angry. I point that out for a reason. The Bible says to be angry, but what? Don't sin, right? It's okay to be angry sometimes. There can be some things that make you angry. There are things, I've seen things that I'm angry. That made me angry, you know? Anger is not the sin. It's not letting anger lead you to sin. If I see some injustice and it makes me angry, that bothers me that they did that to that person. Now, if I go load up some pistols and shoot some folks in anger, now anger led me to sin. If you do something that upsets me, it's like I'm angry that they did that. That's okay. If I smack you in the mouth for it, that's not okay. You can be angry. You don't let anger lead you to sin. I want to point this out because Moses is angry, rightfully so. Most of us would have been angry by now. He's angry. I'm saying it's okay that he's angry in verse 15, but I want you to know that he doesn't sin about his anger. When Moses gets angry with the people, who's his next words to? The Lord, right? He's angry. They made him angry. But I want you to note that in his anger, he goes to the Lord. That's a great example for us. Because many times, it's going to be people that make us angry. But sometimes the people that make you angry are the people that God has called you to love. It could be your kids. For married couples, it could be your spouse. It could be a number of people that may anger you. And God's like, but I've called you to love them. If you end up angry at people, persons that God has called you to love, what should you do? You should pray for yourself, pray for them, but you should pray. You find yourself angry with those that God has called you to love, you should pray. Moses right here is the leader, but he's angry with this group of people. And again, they're a special group of folks. And so he does. He says, God, you know what? Don't don't respect their offering when they come. He says that, you know, I haven't taken a thing from them. You know, I'm not taking advantage of these people. I haven't hurt any of them. I haven't done anything to them. Now I'm going to read all the way to verse 22. So pick up at verse 16. And Moses said to Korah, tomorrow you and all your company be present before the Lord. You and they, as well as Aaron, let each take his center and put incense in it. And each of you bring his incense before the Lord, 250 censers, both you and Aaron, each with his censer. So every man took his censer, put fire in it, laid incense on it, stood at the door of the tabernacle of meeting with Moses and Aaron. And Korah gathered all the congregation against them at the door. And I just had to point out that phrase. They're not just gathered together. They're gathered together against. It's different. It'd be like if 500 people came together to worship. We're gathering together to sing some songs of worship. That's different than 500 people coming together in protest against a person. They're coming together. This 250 group of people is coming together against Moses and Aaron. Just want to point that out. The rest of verse 19, Korah gathered all the congregation against them at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. I want to just note, look at where they gathered together against the leaders at the door of the tabernacle of me. They, at the place where God says, hey, here's a place that I had you guys build meticulously, a place to do business with me, a place for the believers in me to come together and worship and offer sacrifice and prayer. They're gathered together at the door of the house of God, if you will, to come against God's leaders. 
They brought it on God's doorsteps. This is the place God sent a tabernacle of meeting. This is where I want to meet with you guys and you guys meet with me. And they've all come to this place, gathered together against the Lord's people. Well, when you come against God's leaders, who are you really coming against? God. I was battling over this as I was preparing it because this could sound like a very self-serving thing for a pastor or someone in spiritual leadership to say. But I want to be true to the word of God and teach you. So it's true that if God raises up a person, they're his leader. God has raised him up. God has said, this is the guy that I want to do that job. And people come against them. They're coming against God because God put them there. Now, I'm not suggesting that if anybody here says something bad about me, that what happens to them is going to happen to you. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that when any of us come against God's leaders, that we're really coming against the Lord. That's true for me. I'm submitted under leadership to other Christian men. There are men that are senior to me that I submit to, that I yield to, that I speak with for counsel and direction. And I do. I submit to them. And it would be wrong for me to come against them in speech or in voice or in word or in gossip or anything else. It would be wrong to come against them. If there's something against them, I can go to them because I love them and say it to them. But it would be wrong for me to speak against them. They're God's leaders. He's established them. He's put them in a place that they're in. Again, we're not speaking of people that have assumed positions of leadership because there are plenty of those. There are people that have said, hey, you know, call me thus and so. And there's no credential to them. There's no fruit. There's no evidence of God's hand. God's, I'm not speaking about that. I'm speaking about those that God has called and raised up. And there's a difference. I don't have time to go into that. But in this instance here, God has made it clear multiple times that these are the guys. God's done miracles in front of the group. It's not like God hasn't shown them that hey, these are the people that I raised up. He's shown them miraculously so. And they've all come together anyway. Why? What stirred them up for this? This is the thing. Catch this. Why are they there? What made them so angry? What are they so mad about? Notice what they said in their accusation. That you guys, that you're leading us. We're holy too. We can do it too. They're envious. They don't understand how come, how come Moses gets to, how come God tells him and he tells me all. He's always telling us where to go. I don't want him to tell me where to go. I want to tell him where to go now. They're envious. They're discontented with the arrangement God has set up. There's some kids that are in that position. Discontented with the parents God has given them. And how all that maps out. It's bad. I, I realized this the, all the years I did high school ministry. Even kids with bad parents. I would tell them, look, those are the parents you got. Like God knew who you would be and he gave you those parents. So submit to them, yield to them, and obey them. Because most times even bad parents aren't telling their kids to do bad things. Every once in a while, you got a parent that's that bad. But for the most part, you know, do your chores, clean up the room, do the dishes. I said, you need to submit to all that. Those aren't places where you get to resist God and disagree. Those are the people that God has put over your life for your good. And so they're resisting again against what God has done. And now it says in verse, the last part of verse 19, as they met at the tabernacle, it says, then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. Now, if I'm Moses, if you're Moses, what do you think? If God says, hey, Moses, get out the way. I'm getting ready to consume them right now. Some of us would have been like, all right, cool. That's what they get. I want you to notice again. Verse 22. It says, then they fell on their faces. Right. Again, they fall on their faces and pray. 
They said, oh, God, the God of spirits of all the God of the spirits of all flesh. Shall one man sin and you be angry with all the congregation? And I want you to note that they intercede. You don't intercede for people when you hate them. Whatever anger Moses had in verse 15 has subsided because he was angry. But right now, what does he do? As God, it's almost like God's testing his heart. You're angry. So I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to smoke him right now, Moses. Moses could have said, yes, Lord, get him. Amen. But you know, he fell down. He said, no, no, God, just don't do that. He's still got a heart for them. He says, you know, should one person sin, everybody's going to get it? No, no, no. He has a heart for them. Lesson for you and me. Do you have a heart to pray for your enemies? Some of you, maybe, some of, I don't know, I don't, I don't have a lot of enemies. But every once in a while, when I get an enemy, because I don't have a lot of enemies, I find this, that when someone does turn against me or come against me, since I'm not used to it, I don't like it. I don't handle it. I'm used to getting along pretty good with most people. So I found that my track record in life is, since I get along well with most people, when there's someone I can't get along with, I'm much better now than I was earlier in my walk with the Lord. But there was a point where I'm like, if you don't like me, then forget you. Because most everybody else liked me. So if you just, you all by yourself, I just can exclude you from my life. Now I understand now that's not right. Moses here says, God, don't, don't do it. You know, he, he intercedes. He's, I'm at least interceding for the innocent. There may be a few innocent among them. Do you pray for those that don't like you? Those that come against you. The Bible teaches us throughout the New Testament that we're to pray for our enemies, that we're to bless those who curse us, pray for those who spitefully use us and persecute us. Just like God intercedes for us, we're to do it for those that are coming against us. Not an easy thing to do if your heart's not in a good place, but it's a powerful thing to do. Something happens when you pray for someone, someone that may be doing you wrong. I mean, legitimate wrong has been done. When you pray for people, you begin to pity them. What Satan could have stirred up into hatred and bitterness to ruin you, you start praying for them and what happens is you start to pity them. As you pray for them and you realize their state, you realize where they stand before God, you realize the danger that they're in and whatever little thing they did to you, you realize, just Lord help them. They need you. They need you. It'll heal you. It'll keep you from being bitter. right? Keep you from being poisoned in that way. It's a healthy thing for us to do as believers, what God tells us to do. So Moses and Aaron fall on their faces and they pray for this group. Verse 23 now says... So the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the congregation saying, get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, Abiram. Then Moses rolled and went to Dathan and Abiram and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation saying, depart now from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in their sins. So they got away from around the tents of Korah, Dathan and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents with their wives, their sons, and their little ones. Now, I thought this was interesting because remember, when Moses went up in verse 12 to these guys, Datham and Abiram, they said, we ain't coming down there to you. We're not coming up. We're not going to do it. So now God says, hey, everybody, get away from them. Right? They don't want to come. Let them stay where they're at. Everybody get away. I would be afraid if I was them. I'd be like, wait a minute. How come everybody's running away from our tents? Like we got the cooties, like something, something's about to go down. I, I think I would have caught a clue, you know, but it says they came out to their tents, them and their kids, and they stood out there and just checking things out. Verse 28, and Moses said, by this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all this work, for I have not done them of my own will. 
if these men die naturally like all men, or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates a new thing and the earth opens his mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them and they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. Now, Moses says a really difficult thing here. He says, look, this is how you're going to know that I'm from the Lord. Now, this ain't like them little cheap, phony, baloney, prophetic words people be throwing out today. You know, God's going to bless you. It's going to be, you're going to get your breakthrough. You're going to have this. You're going to get that. You're going to blah, 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 blah. This is a word from the Lord right here. Moses says, look, if these men die a regular death, I mean, if they live and get sick and die, then God didn't send me. But if God does a new thing, something he ain't never done before, open up the earth and swallow them and all their stuff into the pit. That's how you'll know that he sent me. So it doesn't really leave any room for error. It ain't like these prophets that come through and it's like, it didn't happen. You didn't have enough faith. They'll give you a prophetic word and then tell you that. Now, if you continue, you just got to continue in faith and then God's going to do it. I want you to know that didn't nobody need to do nothing here because this is really a word from God. And it's not dependent upon man to do nothing. He said, look, God told me he's going to do this. If, if I'm not from God, then if these men die of any other cause then the earth opening up and eating them and I didn't come from God. Now, that's a word from the Lord because they can test that. Right. When this thing happens, they can all look back and say, again, I'm reading this and I'm trying to put myself in the scriptures. Right. If I'm here and I'm part of these groups that are having a hard time with Moses being my leader and this thing happens. If the ground opens up and swallows all these people, right? At that point, would you say, hey, Mo, the Lord is with you, bro. I, I, I believe in you. I'm going to follow your lead from now on. That's what I think. My mind thinks that it would, that would be proof positive. No more questions. I do not question your leadership at all. Can I be part of the team? Can I serve? I'll do bathrooms, you know, whatever. That's what I would think would happen, but that's not. That's not what ends up happening. That's what my mind thinks, but the rebellion is deep in the hearts of these people. So look at verse 31 now. It says, now it came to pass as he finished speaking all these words that the ground split apart under them and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up and their households and all the men of Korah with all their goods, just like Moses said would happen. So they and all those with them went down alive into the pit. The earth covered over them and they perished from among the assembly. Then all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, least the earth swallow us up also. So everybody that saw this start running, saying, let's get away for the earth. Eat us up too." verse 35. And a fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. So the people that had gathered against Moses, the Lord did what he said. He opened up the earth, swallowed that group. And then the, the 250 that came out against Moses, all those leaders were consumed in fire from the Lord. Now, some people read a story like this and they say, man, that God of the Old Testament was mean. When you read this, anybody think that? Anybody think, how come God did that? Isn't that a little harsh? Is the God of the New Testament a little nicer than the Old Testament God? I read this and we're not even done yet. There's more coming. But I read this and I think, man, that's wow. You know, anybody here ever messed up? Anybody here ever revolted against a leader? I have. I've revolted against spiritual leadership. I've done things in church circles that I ought not to have done. I, I read this and I think, well, man, you know, 
Is God the same yesterday, today, and forever? How do I reconcile this? And it's so great how it reconciles, right? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God of the Old Testament is not mean, and the God of the New Testament is nice. He's the same God. He's been holy the whole time. You've been listening to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. As we study through the book of Numbers, do you relate to how the people wanted to rebel, complain, and doubt what God's doing? Throughout this book, it's easy to pick up on a theme that God doesn't look kindly at a rebellious spirit or behavior. However, He corrects the people in a way that causes them to come back to Him with the right kind of heart. The lessons that He taught them are the same ones He teaches you today. He wants you to live fully for Him, not just say one thing and do another. This means not going about your ministry complaining about the things that bother you. God wants you to be overflowing with gratitude for what He's doing in your life and to look back at the struggles and recognize that He was the one who got you through. Are you enjoying these things that you're gaining from the book of Numbers? Today's message is available to listen to again on our website at calvaryinglewood.org. Once you're there, just click on the Teachings tab. Otherwise, feel free to download our mobile app to listen to more messages like this. Just search for Calvary Chapel Inglewood in your app store. If you're looking for a place to connect this weekend, we'd love for you to join us for church. Look on our website for the latest information on service times and locations. We're a group of people who love to learn from God's Word and be together as the family of God. Again, our website is calvaryinglewood.org. Thanks for tuning in to today's edition of A Transforming Word.